The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it who is, that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now there were also many other things that Jesus did. Every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your amazing, amazing grace. We've all denied you. We've all turned our backs, but yet your grace is amazing. I pray as Corey speaks your word to us that our ears would be open, our hearts would be open, and that you'd bring your truth into our very being this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's an honor to be here with all of you. How are you? You doing well? That didn't sound very exciting. Are you doing well? Awesome. Well, again, my name is Corey Nichols. I work for an incredible organization called Destiny Rescue. Destiny Rescue is an international Christian-based organization that's dedicated to rescuing and restoring children that have been enslaved in the sex trade. So I have a real heart to help defend those that have been broken or those that are being abused through my own journey and my own story. And you're going to hear a lot of my journey today through the message and an incredible series that Pastor Randall is, I don't know if he's already begun, but is, is in, we're in process of that. It's called Amazing Grace. And this message that I'm going to be sharing today is called God is Our Restorer. He's a restoring God. Before I, before I get into that, though, I just want to say, Pastor Randall, it's an honor to be here at Grace City Church. Pastor Billy, your entire team. I noticed so many of you working hard before the services got started today. And it, it's just the reflection of servanthood, what Jesus is all about. Serving the community, serving each other, making it possible for others to hear the incredible message of God's amazing grace. So I honor you. 
I pray God's very best on you as you continue to move forward in this two-year anniversary coming up. It's a great blessing. But the, the scripture that was talked about today is the story of Peter. Peter, I don't know if you can relate to Peter. I can totally relate to Peter. Peter was constantly getting himself into trouble. He was constantly saying, I can do, I can make it happen. Whatever it is, Jesus, you are lucky to have me on your team. And by the time God is done processing this man, he becomes an incredible servant of Jesus Christ that is impacting the globe for real change and pushing God's kingdom forward. But we're not talking directly about that at the moment. We're talking about um, some, some mess ups he's had along the way. But before we do that, Peter was called by God. He had a calling from God on his life. God handpicked him and said, I want to make you fisher of men, a fisher of men. Just like God has a calling for each of us. We're not just to exist on this earth, but God wants relationship with each one of us on a personal level. And then he has good works for you to do. Something incredible to do in this world, to make a difference, to leave your mark. We see in Matthew 4, 18 through 20, Jesus calling Peter. It says this, One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. God was saying, Peter, I know that you're a fisherman, but I have something else in store for you. And as you walk with me, you'll discover what that is and you'll become everything I want you to be. I think it's interesting that God has a calling for each of us and he knows what that is way before our life even begins. He knows the number of our days before they even come to pass. Later on in, in um, Matthew, we find... Jesus, once again, declaring something over Peter. Peter recognizes and declares by faith that Jesus is the Messiah, the one that is the savior of the world, the one that their ancestors had been hoping for. And this is where this passage begins, Matthew 16, 17, and 18. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. In other words, God was saying to Peter, when I'm through with you, you're gonna be a pillar in my church and you're gonna make a significant difference in, in, in the generation in which you live. And you are gonna leave your mark on this earth and it's gonna be incredible. What Peter didn't realize is there's a lot of processing that takes place between God's calling on his life and the fulfillment of that calling. And there's a lot of painful lessons that Peter had to learn because God does not need our help. Can I get an amen to that? Maybe you're like me that just is hard-headed and I just can't quite figure it out. I think God needs me. He's lucky to have me on his team. 
I don't know if you've ever thought those thoughts. We're going to learn some painful lessons in Corey's life as well. But Peter, he was self-confident and that he could make things happen. Number one, one, of, one the, my number one point is humility is a prerequisite for God to use us in his kingdom. Humility is a prerequisite for God to use us in his kingdom. Proverbs 18, 12 says this, haughtiness goes before destruction. Humility precedes honor. God has to bring us low before he can elevate us into positions where he truly can use us in a significant way. And it's a painful process. Peter was confident. Lord, everyone will deny you, but I will stick with you. I will fight to the death for you. John 13, 36 through 38 talks about this. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. I think many times in life, we think we are stronger than we really are. We think we're more brave than we really are. We're more courageous and we can do for God. What Peter was really saying is, Jesus, you're lucky to have me on your team. And though everybody else will disown you, I will be the one that sticks right by you. And Jesus was bringing to light, Peter, I love you. Your spirit's willing, but your flesh is weak. And I know that you're going to fail me miserably in the next couple of hours. It's interesting, Luke 22, 61 and 62 says this. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. I can just imagine Peter looking directly at Jesus. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. Oh my gosh, Jesus was right. And in that moment, he probably thought, here this man invested three years in my life and it's over. It's over. How could I possibly recover from this? How could I possibly go on and do anything great for God? My life has come to an end. Have you ever been there? Have you ever said those kinds of words that after failure, after a big blow to your ego, you're like, I don't even know if I can face another day, yet alone face other people. My reputation has just been horrifically damaged. <clears throat> My life... I was one of those people that said, God is lucky to have me on his team. I felt a calling stirring in my heart that God would use me to reach people, broken people, hurting people. 
And it was about getting notches on my badge for Jesus. And I thought to myself with such arrogance, although I was blinded to it, Jesus, you are so lucky to have me. I mean, this is such a cool thing. I had damage in my life. My parents went through a difficult divorce when I was 16. I was sexually abused. The very week my dad moved out of our home, a close friend of our family ended up spending the night to comfort our family and our brokenness. And I woke up to him sexually molesting me. And I had some real anger issues that I was dealing with. And I went on to college with all this brokenness in me. And I grew up in a great, a great Christian family, but life happens. And somehow those barnacles and those weights of hurt and pain get attached to us. And instead of dealing with it, I kept sweeping it under the rug. And in college, I, I knew right and wrong. And I knew about sexual morality or homosexuality and, and all of that stuff. But one day, the Holy Spirit shined in deep on in my heart that I had picked a good friend of mine, a good friend of mine, this guy. I had chosen that friendship out of an attraction there, homosexual attraction, that I had no clue was even going on in my life. And one day the Holy Spirit just illuminated the whole thing to me. And I remember thinking in absolute denial that this was happening. I was proving to myself this wasn't happening, but it absolutely was. And I was the type of person that bad things happened to other people, not me. I was the one that followed all the rules in the books, and I judged everybody else, and I lived this squeaky clean life. And all of a sudden, God shone in on my heart and showed that I was absolutely guilty thinking my, to myself when all of my entire world came crashing down on me, thinking, how could I even recover from such horrificness? I know that's wrong. And here I was, I did it. And I was absolutely broken, weeping. I remember in college calling my dad and terrified. What is happening to me, Dad? I have no clue what's going on, just weeping. And this strong, confident, arrogant Christian was brought very low. And I didn't know what to do except humble myself on my knees and just say a simple word, God help. I don't know what to do. I learned more in that broken moment and as God journeyed me through that season of my life than I did all my previous Christianity combined. There's some things you can only learn in the valley of the shadow of death. You're not gonna learn on a mountaintop. You're gonna learn in brokenness where you're absolutely crying out to God with everything in you. Help. Between the calling and the appointing is a processing. And that processing is a painful journey of realizing and recognizing who we are before a holy God. Brokenness is the beginning of real, lasting transformation. If you have notes, write that 
down. Brokenness is the beginning of real lasting transformation. See, when we're unteachable, when we have all the answers and we're know-it-all, you're not dependent and leaning on God with all of your heart and every fiber in you. You're still resisting God, trying to tell God how it is. And God can't use people that know it all. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. A horse, I love this example. When there's a term in riding horses, it's called breaking a horse. They're broken in. It means this powerful horse needs to be broken so that the master or the rider of the horse can dictate where the horse goes. And until that happens, the horse is unruly and you can't ride it well because it will buck you off and do all kinds of crazy stuff. Our lives are like that. When we are in control of our own lives and we're not broken, God cannot steer us where he wants us to go. And he has to bring us to a place of lowliness where our ears are super attentive to his every beckoning call. It's like a mother with a baby crying. I, I have all these nieces and nephews that are really young and the mother will just, the baby's up. I was like, how'd you even hear that? They're just like, they're just attentive to like their baby. I was like, that's amazing. Well, that is awesome. Psalm 51, 17 says this, the sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. Oh God, you do not despise a broken and sorrowful heart. I love that. A.W. Tozer says this, it's doubtful God can use a man so mightily until he's been crushed, hurt, or wounded so deeply. I'm gonna read that again because I think it's worth it. It's doubtful God can use a man so mightily until he's been crushed, hurt, wounded so deeply. In that moment, I realized some incredible truths. One was, which is my second point, God does not give up on us when we fail. Instead, he meets us in our brokenness and he restores us. God does not give up on us when we fail. Instead, he meets us in our brokenness and he restores us. He's the perfect coach. He knows what we need to go through, to develop our character, to develop us so that we become the people of God he has destined us to be. And as long as we're in control of our own lives, dictating our every move and thinking how great we are, God can't use us to the, to the capacity he wants to. I'm really struggling with this thing, but we're gonna get through it. He's molding us into incredible God-dependent warriors for his kingdom purposes. He makes us into vessels of noble purpose or worth. Now going back to the passage, John 21, 15 through 18. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter. This is after Jesus rose from the dead. And he's confronting Peter and his brokenness. I love it. God didn't give up on us. Well, Peter, you're done now. I had this calling for your life, but you made way too many mistakes now. You're done. 
next person. You know what? It's funny, but we think that. So many times we think God is done with me. I've made too many mistakes. I've failed too many times for God to love me, believe in me, and actually have a good plan. Now it's second best. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, replied, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you, will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. Peter would eventually become a person that laid down his life for Christ. And if you walk, listen to the history books, many of them will say that Peter died a martyr's death for God. In fact, he, was, he felt it wasn't honorable to be hung on a cross right side up as his master. So he was hung upside down. And he went on to be this incredible pillar in the church. Jesus was restoring Peter and saying, Peter, when I'm done with you, you're going to look back at this moment and realize this is one of the best things that ever happened to you because you learned about dependency on me. You learned to rely on my power, the power of the Holy Spirit, and not your own performance, not your own righteousness, not your own good works, not your great ideas, but dependent on me with all of your heart. You're going to look back, and this is going to be a defining moment for you. One book over in Acts. Acts chapter 1. Acts 1.8 says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Peter recognized it wasn't about doing for God, but yielding to God's spirit and letting God work, be an empty vessel which God could fill with his power to affect real change in our world. God had to get Peter out of the way so that God could do a work through him. I wish I could say that was an easy process. I wish it could just be a button you push or get in a prayer line. It actually comes through the road of hard knocks. It's not a fun place. But the fruit of what comes from that place is incredible. It's the person you always want to be. Because it's a person that develops intimacy with God. Dependence on God. And real lasting fruit that lasts for eternity. Peter went on and gave a sermon. One of the first sermons, if not the first sermon of the church, and he led 3,000 people to Christ because he recognized it was about God's power working through him instead of himself. How would this world look different 
if we became yielded to God instead of proving to the world how great we are and what we can do for God, how would this city, how would this church look different? Well, just as God restored Peter, he restored me. It was a journey. It didn't happen overnight. But in my moment of brokenness, I never understood this scripture. I just kind of always read over it. But it's Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I want to read it in the Amplified Version because it, it says more. It's a powerful translation. It says, blessed, spiritually prosperous, happy to be admired are the poor in spirit. Those devoid of spiritual arrogance. Those who regard themselves as insignificant. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Kingdom of heaven, both now and forever. When we recognize we have nothing to offer God. That's a value. When we come to a place where we realize that I am not rich. I have, I'm bankrupt. I need a savior. I need him in my life. When you recognize that, blessed are you. And for the first time in my Christianity, I recognized to a depth I had never recognized before. I'm in absolute desperate need of a savior. And it is simply through his finished work on the cross that I can stand before a holy God. And I received it with all of my being. It was a defining moment in my Christianity. I stopped judging other people and I began to develop compassion. It's amazing what our biggest failures can teach us in the hand of Almighty God. They become a tool. He begins chiseling out this block, this lump of clay and fashioning it to something he can use for great value and purpose in the earth. Number three, God knows our mistakes before we make them. The reason that's powerful is because God put a calling on your life and he knew every mistake you would make and he still chose you and he still wants to accomplish his purpose through you. It's not second best. He knew it before it even happened. And I think sometimes when we play church and we get into religious settings, we love to label all kinds of people. Well, now you're soiled in life, divorced, Messed up with sexual immorality? You were addicted to pornography? Alcoholic? We just start labeling people. And we judge people instead of seeing potential that God has put in them. Or maybe that's ourselves. We beat ourselves up to a pulp where there's, there's no hope. We, we don't think we could ever amount to anything. God died to set you free to experience his joy, his peace, his resurrection life. Luke twenty two thirty one 31 through 32 says this. Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you just as we to sifted, but I have prayed for you. Simon, so that your faith may not fail. And when you have recovered, it will be your job to strengthen your brothers. Jesus was prophesying over his life, knowing that this event of him, his denial would take place. And he said, I've been praying for you that when this happens, that your faith wouldn't fail. You'd become so hopeless that you give up on life, but that you would know that I'm walking with you through it. And when, when you get through this, you're gonna be a transformed person that I can use to bring hope to others. 
God is not surprised by our mistakes. He has a comeback for every setback. He has grace for every failure. His mercy triumphs judgment. His mercies are new every morning. You know, we read these scriptures, but do you declare that over your life when the accuser of the brethren tries to rebuke you and come at you every single day, making you feel worthless? Instead of saying, no, I'm a child of the most high God bought by his ultimate price on the cross and I am righteous and he's at work in me. Romans 8, 28 says this, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. I love that scripture, not just the good things or what we consider good. It says all things. He works all things together. That means the bad things, the ugly things, our failures, our mess ups, people that have wronged us. All of that can work together for great good. God uses our mistakes for his divine purpose. It's kind of like baking cookies. I love chocolate chip cookies. My mom used to follow the recipe for Toll House chocolate chip cookies. And she would throw in flour and egg and salt and vanilla and sugar. And if you isolate any one of those ingredients, they taste terrible. Disgusting. Mouthful of salt. Flour. Yuck. Egg. No, thank you. But when it's all mixed together and you had the chocolate chips and then you bake it, heaven is right there to consume for my joyful delight. God sees our failures, the injustice that's happened to us. He can work it together for great good. Those things don't define us, but they can transform us. Ingredients in his master plan to do something incredible with our lives. If we'll allow God into those dark places and we begin to trust him that he will work all things together for our good. Hebrews 12, 11 says this, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. I know that feeling. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. No trial, no difficulty, no failure seems good at the time. It seems absolutely horrible, painful, disgusting. Oh, I don't even want to bear it. How am I going to make it through? But later on, looking back, in other words, you're going to see God's fingerprints as only the master surgeon can do, bring healing and hope, strengthening you every step of the way. God restored me from sexual abuse, from sexual brokenness, so that I, my identity was correct. I began to view myself as a godly man, looking with a healthy perspective at other human beings instead of brokenness. He restored me financially as well. I, um, which I haven't shared yet, but I'll, I'll share. I was, I got a degree in architecture from Purdue University. I'm from the Midwest. 
and I got a great degree. Moved to Atlanta, Georgia for almost six years and had a very successful architecture career. I had a beautiful house, a beautiful car. I was involved in two great churches while I was there. I was tithing. I was doing everything that I thought was just this great, this was, it was just an awesome experience. And then the 2008 economy collapse happened. I don't know if you're familiar with that. I'm very familiar with that season. 2008. Mm-mm-mm. Our firm started struggling financially. And we started getting pay cuts, pay cuts, layoffs, layoffs. Eventually, my name was called, and I got laid off. Well, the architecture industry across the United States had pretty much collapsed. 70-plus percent of the entire architecture industry was no more. And it was rebounding financially. And so I couldn't find work coast to coast. And when I did find a job, I made half of what I used to make, except I had a house, I had a car payment, a house mortgage, had all these expenses. Oh, and some of my roommates that were living with me started struggling financially and they could no longer pay me. So now all of a sudden my burden for all of it and I ended up losing everything. I lost my house, I lost my car, I literally lost everything. I remember the day putting all of my furniture out in front of my driveway. I had a short window of time to be able to have enough resources to drive back home to my dad and stepmom's house for the first time in 11 years after living on my own in their basement for two years without a car. And a close friend of mine called me up one day and was like, you must be in sin or doing something wrong. Why would all this stuff befall you? And I remember thinking to myself, well, I'm not in sin yet, but in about two seconds, I'm going to be because I'm going to reach through this phone. I'm going to strangle you. I was like, where's your compassion? Where's your, man, I thought the body of Christ is supposed to help people when they're down, not kick them when they're up or kick them when they're down. And I felt absolutely kicked, but I got on my knees in that moment. And I said, God, I have no clue why I'm in this situation. I have no clue. To my very best, I'm trying to hear from you and walk with you. If there literally is something wrong with me, show me. And he quickened a scripture to me in the, in the book of Job. I go to the north and I cannot find him. I go to the south, east, and west and catch no glimpse of him. But when he has tested me, I'll come forth as pure gold. And it was... A short time later that God spoke to me and said, Corey, I want you to set captives free. I was like, what does that mean? I'm broke. I have no money. My reputation has been sliced, diced, ripped apart. I have nothing left, God. He goes, that's exactly where I want you. Because it's in this state of brokenness and dependency on me, Corey, that you are going to see my power displayed to do my work through you. Broken, humble vessels. Now get up. And go do what I've asked you to do. So I started this free blog on blogger.com. And within two months of me launching this blog about sharing out of my journey of brokenness to wholeness, the largest Christian newspaper company in the country contacted me and said, we found your blog. We love how you write. We think the message and the hope you're sharing needs to be told what would you think about writing for us? And that began a published writing career for me. No experience in writing. I ran from writing in college. And little did I know that that was a gift God had put in me that had remained dormant for years in my life. But he was looking for, for a place of dependency on him. 
And God began to open incredible doors for me that through that writing opportunity, I began working for the organization Destiny Rescue. And today, I'm traveling all over the world rescuing kids out of sexual exploitation and slavery. And I get to travel around the United States bringing to light the issue of human trafficking, sharing out of my own broken past how God doesn't leave us there, but he redeems us so that we can be champions of hope for others that still need rescue. And I feel like it's no longer, God, you're lucky to have me on your team. It's God, thank you that you consider my life worthy enough to be on your team. God takes our brokenness and our past and he restores us. Not so that we can live a life for self, but we can live a life for others. When God restores us, this is my fourth point. We are not to live for ourselves, but for others. Luke 22, 31 through 32. I read this, but I'm going to read it again and point out something. Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you just as we to sifted. But I have prayed for you, Simon, for your faith may not fail. And when you have recovered, it will be your job to strengthen your brothers. You see, failure in our lives has purpose. It develops compassion. It develops mercy. It develops a non-judgmental attitude. But we see through the lens of, of God's compassion. Jesus said he looked out at the crowds and he had compassion. He saw hurting people and he saw their potential. And he's looking for men and women like you and me that can be restorers of others. That we can use our broken past to inspire somebody, to offer them hope that Jesus saved me. He didn't leave me hanging high and dry. He loved me. And I want to be that example to you to be your friend in your moment of weakness, not kick you when you're down, but lift the fallen, to be an encouragement of hope, of a confident trust in God that he is good and he is faithful. I have two stories and a scripture, and then I'll be done. When I was 16 years old, I didn't know God could speak through dreams. I asked people and they said, I don't think so. I think that was back, way back when. So I was like, okay. I had this dream and it never left me. And I knew it was a God dream, even though all these excellent people told me it wasn't. And this was the dream. I was in the ghetto. It would remind me of the projects, the slum projects in Chicago, these sky rises. And it was an impoverished area with broken lives, broken dreams. And I was in this convertible car and all of a sudden out of this project's gunfire was shooting directly at me. And I remember in the car driving out of that environment and I didn't die. And all of a sudden, all of that whisked away. And this voice out of heaven said, Corey, are you willing to die for me? And I remember in the dream saying, yes. And I woke up. And I had no clue what that dream meant for years and years and years. In fact, it was 16 years I didn't understand what that dream meant. And after much brokenness in my life, and as I learned the wisdom of God, he began to show me, blessed are the poor in spirit, 
for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Corey, God was sharing with me, Corey, when you're dead to your reputation and you're willing to die to what others think of you and you're willing to share the broken things that I've taken you through with others and offer them a hope and a relationship with me, you're bringing great honor and great glory to my name. And when I'm finished with you, it's no longer gonna be about you and what you've done for me, but it's gonna truly bring honor to me being a trophy of my grace, a trophy of my humility so that others can see who I'm truly like and not like what they think their perceived image of me that has been broken and slashed throughout humanity and generations, but they will see me for who I truly am. That's when I was 16 years old. That was 22 years ago. I'm 38. My life looks vastly different today. And I'm so honored to serve God and to offer others hope. Um, There's a scripture. This scripture says this, Isaiah 61, one through four. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like oaks that the Lord has planted for his glory. They will rebuild the ancient ruins, repairing cities destroyed long ago. They will revive them, though they have been deserted for many years, many generations. God will take our ashes and make something beautiful out of it. And then he will use us to be restorers of others, ancient cities and ruins. How will this community be different? Because this church This body of believers is all about restoring others so that they can become everything God created them to be. How will it be different? How will your life be different? How will your family look? Your coworkers. Yesterday I had the beautiful privilege of going out to a play with one of my neighbors who is so polar opposite from Christian and so polar opposite. She's She's hard-nosed, arrogant, self-confident, has all the answers, but she's broken. And God's like, Corey, I just want you to love her and let her see me through you. Because of, I understand God's mercy and grace today, I don't judge her for where she's at. And little by little, I'm sprinkling the light and the love of Jesus Christ. And yesterday was a big breakthrough I just began to share stories of what I had been through. And all of a sudden she goes, the reason I'm not in church is because I feel so judged by other people. And I can see God's restoring her, a perspective in her that's different than what she thought. God is a redeemer. He's a restorer. I did have one more story, but my time is done. I think you get the picture. I want to pray for you. There's a scripture that says this. The the righteous fall seven times, but they get back up. 
Life is not about doing it perfectly. It's learning from our mistakes. It's grabbing a hold of God and being in relationship with him. That we discover that he's a God full of mercy, of compassion. And when we get up, we can help others get up. And so maybe here today there's people that need to know that you are loved and you are valued. And the labels the world has put on you are lies. Because Jesus has a new label, redeemed, forgiven, righteous. Your, your best days are ahead of you. Your best days are ahead of you, not behind you. You're not second class. Jesus paid an enormous price so we could be in relationship with him. So if that's you, I want in the quiet heart to get in agreement with this prayer. And then uh, Pastor Randall's gonna come up and close. Heavenly Father, you got a bunch of incredible kids, your kids, your people here. And I pray, God, that this message would stir their hearts to know they are loved, they are valued, they are esteemed. They have purpose and worth that goes far beyond their performance. You saw them before they were even born, who you created them to be and who they are and their potential. And Father, through your amazing grace, we can get up again and we can help others up and we can lift the fallen. So Father, I pray the seeds sown in their hearts would take root and they would become these incredible oak trees, as Isaiah 61 says, and that they could be restorers of ancient ruins and rebuild lives as you have commanded and called each of us to do. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thank you, God bless. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.